morning is particularly appropriate in light of uh, Robin's uh, situation. It comes from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Said, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me was lying. Uh, it is an old saying, uh, but not a true one at all. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break your heart. They can break your spirit. Words can devastate. They can destroy. Words can uh, bring you down. Criticism cuts deep, doesn't it? Uh, when Paul writes to the believers at uh, Corinth, in this second letter, he writes out of a situation of, uh, of having been heavily criticized. He writes uh, because Paul, at this point in his life, his physical health is at such a place that he uh, physically is so debilitated that in their culture they can't believe that if he truly walked with God, that he would um, uh, be in this physical place. He uh, writes to them out of, of uh, their criticizing him. I remember watching um, Trent's sixth grade game. It was his final football game of the year and it was the championship game, and uh, there was a father who was coaching the other team whose son played on that team, and Trent's team won. And that father became livid, and I watched him lie into his sixth-grade son out on the field mercilessly, endlessly, it seemed, until the son his head was bowed low in tears. The father stormed off the field. There was no way that he was going to stay for whatever awards thing was about to happen. And I wondered, how many years from now will that boy remember that? And who, it's my only point of reference for even remembering the game. It's just a game. Criticism cuts. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, author of Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, has lectured throughout the country on the powerful and often negative impact of words. He asked people, can you go 24 hours without saying an unkind word? And in his lecture, when he does that, people will laugh and snicker and say, I can't go 24 hours without criticizing someone, to which Rabbi Telushkin responds, 
A person who can't go 24 hours without a drink is an alcoholic. And a person who cannot go 24 hours without criticizing someone has lost control of his tongue. Paul faces people who are criticizing him. In verse 8 he says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of chapter 1, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, despairing of life itself. We were hurting so badly we were about to die. Chapter 2, verse 5, Now if anyone has caused us pain. In a September blog post, Called the top 10 sources of discouragement for pastors, Tom Rayner listed conflict and criticism from church members as number one. Paul writes in 4 1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Again, he writes in 4.16, so we do not lose heart. I'm preaching to people this morning who are bent low under the weight of criticism. Your boss is never satisfied. Your perfectionist wife is never pleased. Your dad is never satisfied with your performance. Your coach won't let up on you. Your friend finds every fault in you and tells you about it in others. Your co-worker makes it a point of pointing out your mistakes. Criticism has landed you in the valley of despair, the throes of defeat. You feel like giving up, quitting. You feel like throwing in the towel. Here Paul gives three contrasting perspectives To help you not to lose heart, I offer them to you this morning. Uh, I ask you to take them uh, uh, and tuck them away in your own heart. Write them down. Live by them. These perspectives, that's what they are. And as a result of my study here, and as a result of God working through this series, we're actually extending this series and we'll jump into chapter 5 next week, but for today, these three verses. Perspective number one, inner self versus outer self. 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. At first, we would assume the outer self is the body, the inner self is the soul, but that isn't it. The outer self is the whole person, the body and the mind that is subject to the aging process. Suffering is physical. It is disease and digression, losing eyesight, arthritis, cancer. It is also mental. It is emotional. Criticism that Paul found himself in, perhaps you find yourself there as well. The inner self then, if the outer self is the body and the mind and others can visibly see the uh, pain, uh, uh, the suffering there, 
The inner self is one's unseen personality visible only to God and to you. Only God and you are able to see your inner self. This is why that no one can criticize your inner self. That's why. And if your focus is on your outer self, if your focus is on your body, on beating uh, time, on uh, refusing to age, if it is on the reputation that you have in the community or with others, if it is on all of this stuff that culture and the world deems most important, as that goes and it will. As that goes and it will, you'll go with it. If you live for that, when that is diminished, there will be a day when your money will not buy you the health that you want. There will be a day when you cannot climb the stairs as fast as you once did. And if everything about you is about that, When that begins to go, you'll go with it. Paul says our inner self as our outer self ages and aches and groans as our minds become perhaps not as clear as they once were. Our outer self, our inner self is renewed. It's twice in scripture only in Paul. It's passive every time. So a little uh, lesson here, a little grammar lesson. If something is in the passive tense, what does that mean? It means it's being acted upon. It means that God is in the process. God does the acting. You are the one being acted upon, and he is renewing you. In Christ, we get better with age. That's what it means. In Christ, we get better with age. How does it happen? You can't miss this. Day by day. This is a critical theme in all of Scripture. God created in increments of days. We go to Genesis. That's where the days began. God designed that. So he created in increments of days. If... uh, If you go then to the wilderness when they're wandering in the wilderness and they need food to eat, God gives them enough for how long? One day. One day. They they can't store it up for the next day. Lamentations 3, the world is falling apart. Jeremiah is devastated. But he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every what? Morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here the phrase day by day suggests not some today and some tomorrow. This is what you can't lose. The way that Paul words it means every day there's a total renewal. Wow. Every single day is total renewal. So today, if you let him, he'll renew you completely and get you where you need to be for today. And guess what? Tomorrow, uh, when you wake up, there's total renewal. 
right? It's not like you renovate your house and it takes three months or six months and you see progress day by day. No, this is a God who is able to get you into shape every single day. And the next day, he's going to renew you again. And you're just like new the next day. And the next day, you're just like new again. And the next day, you're just like new again. This is unbelievable. That God is so vested in you that he is going to renew you every single day completely and totally. That's what the phrase means. Wow. Don't you want to wake up with him in the morning? Don't you want to start your day with him? Don't you want to encounter him in the morning and let him begin his awesome renewal work in you? That's what this is about. It is the decay of the outer man that forces the renewal of the inner. That's what it does. I dare say if the outer did not decay, we would not lean heavily on God for the inner. So you say, well, am I being renewed? It's a good question. Let me give you three evaluation questions. These aren't fun, but they're good. Number one, how would those closest to you describe your faith? How would those closest to you, meaning husband, wife, mom, dad, son, daughter, how would they describe your faith? Number two, do more people seek you out for godly counsel than they did five years ago? Do more people seek you out for godly counsel than they did five years ago. If that is going down, you're not being renewed in the inner man, and people can tell as you outwardly work it out. Number three, is your influence greater or less than it was five years ago? I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about in lives. Are you influencing greater or less? You say, Jerry, I don't like these questions. They aren't fun but they're good. These are good questions to evaluate. Are you getting better with age? Is your focus on the inner or on the outer? All right, perspective number two, now versus eternity. Look at this. For this light momentary affliction is prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, when I first read this, I thought light and momentary do not seem appropriate words to combine with affliction, do they? They don't. Light and momentary do not seem to go with affliction. So what does momentary mean? Do you know that momentary means your, your whole life? You say, what do you mean? It, it's, it's relative to eternity. If you take the span of your life, be it 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, and you take that in, in, in comparison to all of eternity, it's like a grain of sand compared to every beach in the world, every grain of sand. That one grain would be the length, not the value, not the quality, no, the length of your life compared to eternity. Now, if somebody told me that I had $1,000 to invest and I could invest it here 
where it would yield remarkable dividends in perpetuity, or I could invest it here where it would yield dividends for a millisecond of time. Wouldn't it make sense to invest it here where it yields dividends in perpetuity? That's eternity. This is now. Light momentary affliction is here compared to weighty eternal glory. This word glory is difficult for us. We don't use it probably correctly. When I teach at Montreat, I'm constantly, as we encounter the glory of God in study, teaching my students how to understand glory. And this is the best way. I I think it's better illustrated than it is just straight taught. Uh, Glory is what someone is known for. That's glory. We'll do a test here. You answer. I'll do this in class. So would you just be a big class right now, and you answer out loud. I'll say names, and you tell me their glory. LeBron James. Mozart. Yeah. You know Mozart is music, and you know James is basketball. Nobody has to make that clear. Right? You say LeBron James, you you think basketball. Mozart, you think music. If I say Alabama, what do you say? Football. You say football. Why? Because they win a lot of football championships. Right? Somebody, some bitter person's over here somewhere. But uh, they, they win a lot of football championships. And so you think football. Nobody says Alabama thinks basketball. You just don't do that. That's their glory. All right, so listen to this. Your light momentary affliction, meaning suffering now, not because of your sin, no, not, not, not for those reasons, not just so that you'll know God, although it helps in a big way, is preparing. Again, grammar, present tense. Is preparing what? Glory. Eternal weight of glory. It's interesting, the word glory in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word literally means weight. It literally means weight. All right, so it's preparing an eternal weight of glory. I cannot explain this to you. I only preach it based on the word of God. That if you are suffering now, And as you are suffering, there are multiple reasons for your suffering. John Piper has a great video on this, giving the five reasons for suffering, like revelation. That's one of the reasons. You know God through suffering. He talks about repentance. Some suffering brings you to repentance. But here's one of the reasons, reward. There is a reward for suffering well. And what is the reward? It is that your glory in heaven is proportionate to, according to 2 Corinthians 4, your suffering here. And that if you choose to suffer well, if you choose to follow Christ 
regardless. If you name him, if you love him through the suffering, if you choose to suffer well, your glory in heaven grows. And when you get there, heaven, which is full of rewards, yours will be proportionate to how graceful and gracious and God-glorifying you suffered here. And so what I say to you as you are suffering, and I look around the room, and there are the obvious sufferers. I see Lisa Sprouse, who is battling cancer, suffering well. I see Caroline walking in today with a big smile on her face and something to cover up a head, I presume, that has no hair on it. And she's smiling as she walks down the aisle into this place. When Caroline, when Lisa, when you still love Jesus as you suffer, glory accumulates over there. That's what this says. You say, Jerry, are you serious about that? Read the book of Job. Read the book of Job. If you want an example of that, Read the book of Job. The woman bent with arthritis. The man losing his sight. The teenager enduring the bullying of others for his faith. The single man or single woman who stays single and pure. Glory. Eternal weight of glory. This light, momentary affliction. The man who can no longer think because of his Parkinson's. Eternal weight of glory. Now versus eternity. Perspective number two. Perspective number three. Seen versus unseen. These contrast. As we look, well, I love language. I love it. And this word is rare in the Greek. I'll say it in the Greek because you'll know what it means as soon as I do. Skopos. It's where we get our word scope. What does a telescope do? It brings things near that are far away. What does a microscope do? It makes things large that are small. What does an endoscope do? It brings things out that are in. This kind of scope makes things visible that are invisible. That's what it does. Don't miss the apparent contradiction to what Paul says. As we look, scope, if you're writing your Bibles, just mark over there, just Greek it up. As we scope, right? As we scope not to the things that are seen, but to, to the things that are unseen. What does he say? As we see what you can't see, you can't miss that. This is huge. You can see what you cannot see. Somehow, 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So how do you see what you cannot see? By faith. All right. So let me give you an example. Numbers 21. Poor Moses. When I get to heaven, he's my man. Like, I want some time with Moses. How in the world did you lead a million plus people? And they, at times, were so high maintenance. And this is one of them. We don't like the food. We're tired of manna. Manna to yesterday, it's manna. Tomorrow, it's manna. Every day, the menu hasn't changed in forever. Moses, why didn't you just leave us out back in Egypt? We could eat the food there. Yeah, we were slaves. Yeah, I know. Right? Some of you parents, you identify. Your kid, like, we're having spaghetti again. Well, yeah, it beats peanut butter. Right? So, so they complain, and they gripe, and they whine, and God's done. As a matter of fact, he's so done that he does a creepy thing. He lets snakes loose among them. I despise snakes. And many of you do. It's the rare person who likes them. And I'm weary of you. (laughs) It's just the rare person. I remember this as a kid. I grew up having some fascinating experiences. And one of them was when my dad was called to do a revival in Newport, Tennessee. If you know any of your history, that ain't good. Like, hopefully things are better in Newport. And if you're watching from Newport, check in. But it was revival. And Dad got up to preach. And when he did, evidently some men slipped in the back with shoeboxes and snakes. And they were ready to let him loose. And I remember my dad pointed his finger at them and said, listen, I see what you brought in here. You will get up now and take them out. There will be no snake handling in this church. And as a kid, I just drew my feet up in the seat. (laughs) I'm like, they're going to get mad and there's going to be some snake handling. We're going to die. And as a kid, I'm just like, you know, crisscross applesauce, you know. Oh, no. All right, so, so that's what God does. He just sends snakes in among them, and the snakes bite the people. And God does this most unusual thing to me. He, he says, uh, all right, the people now have something to really complain about. See, kids, that's from God parenting. When your parents say, I'll give you something to complain about, well, that's what God did right here. He gave them something to complain about. You don't like manna? Well, how about manna with snake bites? And so that's what happened, and some of them die, and now they're really crying about something real. And when they do, God says, all right, make a snake out of bronze, put it up on a pole. And when you put it up on a pole, those who what? Who what? Look. There it is. Not touch, not taste, no, no, those who what, church? Those who look will what? Live. 
they'll be healed immediately. That's Numbers 21. That they don't have to touch nothing. All they have to do is have the faith with their swollen leg to crawl out of their tent and look at that pole. All right, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus. What time, class? At night. Why? Because he's a big man on campus and he doesn't want anybody to see him. So he comes to Jesus and when he does, what must I do? Tell tell me what's up. They have this conversation back and forth. Talk about the wind that you cannot what? See. But you see its effects. Jesus is so gracious, isn't he? He gives Nicodemus something Nicodemus gets. He says, Nicodemus, he was a rabbi. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus would have known this. Nicodemus, just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when I am, I will draw all people to myself. Nicodemus, do what? Look. Look. Nicodemus, look. Look. Look at what? That's the unthinkable thing. Because Nicodemus also knew Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Look at a tree. Look at that. I mean, is this it right here? This, like you wear them as necklaces and they're made out of gold and you cherish them. But, But the Romans said this is the worst possible way to die. And the Jews says, if you die on that, you're cursed. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, and said, listen, as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, I'll be lifted up, and when I am, just look. Look and see. Look and see. Unless you look to the cross, you will not see through your present sufferings to future glory. Write it down. Unless you look to the cross, you will not see through your sufferings to present glory. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, would you stand with me? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at this. What does it say? Look. Look and say it. Oh, that's so weak. Say it. Look in. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what, church? Joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Oh, look and see who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We're going to sing a song that says, look and see. We'll give you one last little tidbit. This is such good stuff. Look at the screen. Jesus did not, and maybe it won't be there. There you go. Jesus never foretold his death without foretelling his resurrection. You can't look at the cross without seeing an empty tomb. Amen. Let's worship him. I'll be down here standing up front by Wendy worshiping. Adrian's right there. Alan Michael will be right down here. If you need to pray, don't leave this place the way you came. Let's worship.